Hi everyone, I'm Dominique. And I'm Adriana, and we are Survivor Sisters. Survivor Sisters is a podcast that shares the stories of sexual assault survivors to educate, empower, and inspire other survivors and their peers to take action against sexual assault. For today's episode, we are sitting down with Tiffany, who is a graduate student at Florida International University as a part of their professional counseling program. She is also a two-time sexual assault survivor who creates mental health and survivor-related art. Her Instagram is at Claire's underscore custom crafts if you want to check her out. And we are so excited to have Tiffany here with us today and give her a platform to share her story. With that, we're going to pass it on over to Tiffany and invite her to go into more detail and share her story and her experiences. Hi, Survivor Sisters. (laughs) Um, Honestly, um, I've been listening to you guys for quite some time now. Honestly, I believe I've been listening to you guys uh, since the moment you guys started putting on episodes. Thank you. (laughs) Um, At the time, um, I was kind of like trying to figure out, you know, things that I could, you know, go ahead and use to feel less alone within everything that was going on for me. I had recently went through um, a sexual assault a couple months prior, it was around December, and actually, you know, the days coming up is going to be the anniversary of it. And um, yeah, so pretty much I am a two-time sexual assault survivor. Um, Both times kind of happened years apart from each other. One was in high school, one was, you know, much recent in my undergrad. Um, The first time around, I didn't have, I would say, the resources that I have now. Back then, I didn't even know the terms of, you know, sexual assault, what it entailed, and how it would go, especially in a relationship and stuff like that, because I was with a significant other at that time in high school. I was 15 when it happened. And I, at the time, thought, oh, you know, I'm with this person. It's okay. It's an automatic okay if I'm with this person, even if I don't want it. And it wasn't until years later that I went ahead and learned that that type of thing was, you know, not an automatic okay. That it was just like, I have a say, even if I'm in a relationship, I can say no if I'm not comfortable with it or if I'm not ready to. And at the time I was 15. So, you know, being that young, I did not want to be, you know, sexually active that so early, but I didn't go ahead and report it. Nobody knew about it, minus my immediate friends of that time. And I never, I never reported it. It kind of took an emotional toll on me. I became emotionally numb and not really, um, you know, connecting with people. Um, my family kind of saw it as like, oh, you brought this on yourself. You brought this on yourself and you are the one that should be punished for having sexual relations and at the time i didn't think um anything of it but you know learning the resources that i have now i was just like that's definitely not okay and it took a really long time for me to you know be able to heal from that and when it came to 
this um, anniversary that's coming up, this is for, um, you know, my second uh, sexual assault. That one, that one for me was, uh, it definitely brought up all the past trauma that I did have from my first assault. And even more so, like, I kind of went back to, you know, same coping patterns, isolation, not really talking so much to people. A lot of the times I would be awake at night. I couldn't sleep for months. I would not even sleep in my own bed, not even like stay in my room, that sort of thing. It wasn't until I would say October of this year that I had been able to go ahead and sit down and lay down on a bed without crying or being triggered. And when it first happened, um, again, I didn't really know that it had happened because um, I was out in a uh, social event um, with my school and the marching band that we had. We had this bowl game event and pretty much like it was our last night and all our friends, we were exploring the town and stuff like that. So we're just like, hey, it's our last night. You know, let's go out and celebrate. I was like, okay, you know, it was my senior year. I was not going to be marching again. So I was like, you know, let me go ahead and celebrate with my friends. We did some drinking and stuff like that, but I had planned ahead that I was not going to go anywhere out of the room. I was just going to stay there. My friends would be monitoring me. Again, half half of the time, you cannot really predict these things at all. So somebody that I had known that I had very much respect for went ahead and, you know, pretty much took advantage of the fact that I was intoxicated and took me out of the room and took me into theirs. And I was missing for, I would be maybe like at least two hours or so. And then the following morning, I didn't have any recollection of anything that happened the night prior. And You know, being a psychology major, I kind of also learned later on that when it comes to trauma survivors, half of the time it takes about the first 36 hours at least for a recollection to start coming up. So for me, that was definitely the case. And when I had realized it, I was petrified, not showing what to do. I had talked to the drum major and asked, you know, what was it that I should do? And like, I was very scared of what would happen to me. Did I say yes? Or like, did I not say yes? Was I, you know, I was guilt tripping myself so much. I was just like, you know, did I do anything wrong? And my drum major reassured me and helped me go ahead and pursue the the reporting process through our university's resources. So we went through like, you know, student conduct, reporting through Title IX. And through that, I was like, I was scared. And honestly, the first couple of weeks, I was very um, like numb to everything going on. My victim application was extremely concerned because I wasn't showing any signs of common trauma responses. I was not showing anything. And she was like, oh, do you want to have disability resources so that it can go ahead and help you, you know, with your assignments just in case you need it for later in the year? And I was just like, I didn't really feel felt at the time that I needed it because I was like, okay, I wasn't feeling anything. I wasn't crying or, you know, any showing any PTSD symptoms at that moment. 
And it wasn't until much later on that I had started showing those signs. And I was just like, I went ahead and I called her. I'm like, hey, let's go ahead and do this. I don't feel 100% comfortable asking for resources like this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. And I can safely say now, like that has been the biggest help for me this entire time, especially like now with grad school and everything. It's just been very helpful when I do need it. Like I go ahead and talk to my professors, be like, hey, you know, may I receive an extension and stuff like that. And I know for a lot of people, um, not all people, but like asking for help is not something that, you know, we're often used to. And especially when it's like, oh, okay, I want to do this on my own. I can handle it. You know, sometimes asking for that help is it's going to help you in the long run, especially like when it comes to school. <laughs> yeah, I think that asking for help is something that a lot of people are almost like, a, I don't know if afraid is the right word, but they're definitely like, they don't want to ask for help. Like I think, and also I think it's just for the nature of, of what happened, like it's very personal and sometimes you don't even realize, like you were saying before, especially with your first time, like you don't even realize like what you experience was sexual assault or like the true impacts that it will have on you later on as you like, as you progress, especially like right after it happens, like you were talking about with the 36 hours, how like sometimes it takes that much time or even longer to even comprehend like what happened to you. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really great that you kind of went ahead anyway and asked for help. Like, I don't think we need to be afraid to ask for help. Like, there's help in place for a reason. When you're experiencing something like sexual assault, it's very traumatic and it's likely going to have long lasting effects that are going to negatively affect the way that you function in those environments. So it's really commendable that you went ahead and asked for help. I wanted to ask a little bit more about your victim advocate. Um, mm-hmm. It seemed like she was a really big factor in you getting help. How did you come into c- contact with her? Did you report your assault to the school? Or did you just go to like a resource center? And what are some other things that like she has been doing for you or with you throughout this process? When it first initially happened, I went ahead and made a call to the, um, it's this program that we have within the university. It's called the Victim Empowerment Program. And pretty much what that entails, it's a specific section of the counseling center in the university that is to, you know, help and get the resources for trauma survivors, abuse victims, those individuals that may need immediate assistance. So I contacted uh, the phone number for that section within the university. And they asked me if I wanted to go ahead and go to to a hospital nearby to go ahead and get the the rape kit that would be um, used for like, you know, the investigation and all that stuff like that later on. Pretty much reassuring me of through the process. Um, she was there for me when I went to the uh, to the hospital Christmas Eve morning. I went ahead there with her and I went with a friend for for moral support, she went there with me. She was my section leader. At the time, I was like petrified to go ahead and you know tell my family about this because they weren't so welcoming the first time. So I kind of like 
was very withdrawn um, with my family in terms of like, you know, what I could tell them, how much I could tell them. So pretty much they didn't know until like much, much later. But my victim advocate, she was there for me to guide me in like, you know, what was the rape kit, how the process would go through, the different procedures that I can go ahead and do, whether if I wanted to go report it uh, criminally or if I just wanted to go through the university and just report it with student conduct and Title IX. And a lot of the times within our sessions, I was very reluctant with her at first because I was just like, you know, how could I go ahead and trust this much information to a counselor and stuff like that. But she was consistent with me. She was there when I needed her, even at hours that were like late in the night, I could send her a message through the communication system that they provide for the students, for their counselors. And she was there immediately responding to me, um, giving me, you know, coping mechanisms and stuff like that. And she had even helped me process how to tell my friends, how to tell my significant other that I was with at the time, you know, how to like go ahead and approach that sort of thing. Cause um, definitely a thing that was definitely hard for me was telling my loved ones and telling my significant other this type of news. A lot of the times this can affect them just as severely, you know, as, as myself. Yeah, I think that sharing your trauma and your story with someone else, especially your significant other, it can be hard to tell how they're going to react in that situation. And again, like what happened the first time with your family and how this time around you're a lot more reserved in telling them. You waited a long time to share this with them because of the way that they responded in the past. It can be a really challenging thing to do. And I think that a lot of times when people don't respond in the most supportive way, right? And they turn to like, oh, well, you shouldn't have been doing this or you were drinking or, you know, just kind of shifting the blame from like the perpetrator onto yourself. It can be a really hard thing to process when you're telling people who you care about and especially with significant others um, because they kind of feel some sort of jealousy or, or whatnot because someone touched you sexually that like they kind of become blinded by something like that. How did the people around you react this time around, especially your significant other? At least when it came to delivering the news uh, to my significant other at the time, um, I was very, I was very nervous um, to go ahead and tell him, especially um, we had been dating for, I would say, less than a year at that time. And um, everything was going great in the relationship. And I was just so nervous because the thought that came up to my head constantly would be like, you know, what if he sees me as less? What if he sees me as, oh, you went ahead and cheated on me and you were like irresponsible and that sort of thing. And at the time when the assault had happened, I had went ahead and went to this um, youth group retreat um, that was part of the university's campus clubs and stuff like that. I went ahead out of town for a good couple of days to kind of like sit down and like, you know, give myself time to like be alone, grieve and process everything that was going on before I went ahead and, and told him because I wasn't sure where the relationship would go after that. And coming back from my trip, I was in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina at that time and I came back to Florida and um, I had spent the day with him after that trip. 
to like you know give us time to like sit down um you know catch up and go ahead and tell him and when i was trying to tell him literally only four words were able to come out of my mouth i had started crying instantly and just started tearing up started like just hugging him and like um at the time he had seemed um like you know supportive um like you know he was hugging me just like you know making sure that i was going to be okay you know sleeping um that i wouldn't have to like you know stress or anything like that um but then after that i'm not too sure if it was me telling him or not but like eventually he had started becoming very withdrawn with me and after that he just kind of decided to um you know end the relationship with me wouldn't even tell me the reason why or anything like that but i was very you know severely depressed i was very withdrawn as well but like i had done everything to push forward in the relationship and protecting him from like details of like you know the investigation and stuff like that because i knew that it would have some significant impact on him so i wanted to make sure that i've done everything possible to go ahead and keep him from being overwhelmed by everything that was going on i'm sorry i mean that's that's so difficult to go through something traumatic and then have someone who is a significant other who you have that bond with who you kind of feel comfort and safety and leave you for no really expected reason and it's kind of just like your world is getting turned upside down over and over again in all these different ways yeah and did your family when when did you end up telling your family what had happened and how did they react the second time When it came to telling my family, honestly, they kind of found out themselves um like a long like I I would say at the beginning um around like January or something like that, but my mother she didn't really go ahead and disclose that information to me until like I would say around April. She went ahead and told me like, "Hey, um I know I know the real reason why you went to the hospital and stuff like that." And quite frankly she was not as uh comforting as the first time either so she was just asking like you know how could you how could you let this happen again i got really upset at her because i was just like you know i'm here processing this emotionally my triggers are all over the place and like you are not giving me the comfort or the consistency of 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 a support system that i needed and during that duration as well was when my significant other was also kind of like pulling away and it wasn't until the end of summer that he had decided to end things without giving me the communication it was just kind of like a ghosting situation so i kind of related um a lot of my support system to my victim advocate so that's why she's been like a huge support for me this entire time cuz she's been consistent I've had this one exercise with her that she told me she's like let's focus on you know while there is a lot of inconsistency in your life right now let's see if we can list those people in your life that are being consistent what are the friends you go to to hang out what are the friends you go ahead to rant about your emotions who do you go to just to have a good time and 
I went ahead and started listing those things. And often or not, like this year alone, a lot of people that I have not talked to for a really long time ended up being the most consistent in this recovery that I'm still going through. And I was very surprised to realize like, hey, I may have lost the people who I thought were the most consistent in my life, but I have to pay attention to those who are currently being, you know, consistent or being loving, being supportive, because that for me, like has been the main essential thing in my recovery. And honestly, when I was feeling isolated and stuff like that, I was just looking for people that would would reach out to me and be like, hey, you know, are you okay? I haven't heard from you in a while. Like, you know, those little things definitely matter for sure. Support system is so huge when you are dealing with any sort of trauma or even just any sort of like mental illness, like if you're depressed or things like that, like having a good, strong support system is such an important factor for properly healing and getting through everything that you're going through and like kind of processing all that stuff as well. So while it's sad to hear that your family and your significant other were not as supportive as they should have been, and it's it's nice to hear that like you had your victim advocate who was really just kind of a rock for you in this situation and how you had these friends or even maybe they were acquaintances at one point who kind of stepped up and were there for you and helped you get through something like this and probably are continuing to help you process and heal from this. But yeah, a lot of people, they don't even realize like you don't have a strong support system there for you. It's so hard to heal. You can't heal on your own. You need others to be there for you and to lift you up when you're trying so desperately to sink back down into into the place that you kind of ended up in as a result of the trauma and that when people react in a negative way it's really invalidating and it's almost traumatic all over again like in and of itself because it's shifting the blame onto yourself as somehow like you did something wrong when that's really not the case at all and it's so important that like universities have these resources in place for their students because in many situations like these are the only people that they can truly rely on for support and guidance in a really stressful and traumatic time. Yeah, and in regards to the support system, a lot of people believe that like, okay, cool, if I don't have 10, 20 people as my support system, like I'm not gonna get through this or I'm not gonna you know, push past this. For me, in the beginning, um, I didn't have much of a support system. I was pretty much pushing myself to be isolated. And like, I felt like, okay, you know, I can't be around my friends because I'm just gonna push them down and that sort of thing. While it is good to give yourself that time, give yourself that space to process those emotions and stuff like that, you know, at least having that one person or that two people that go ahead and not even necessarily give you advice or tell you what to do because that is your own judgment to decide what you do and how you carry on your healing process. But just to have them as like an ear and to listen to your story. I had um, a recent friend that I can really say is number one star in my support system. I hadn't talked to this person in years. 
we went to middle school and high school together and they had noticed I had posted something very, uh, very sad, something very concerning on my Instagram story. And they had reached out to me and be like, hey, are you okay? And I just started letting out everything that was going on, um, my story, um, the fact that I was kind of feeling uh, withdrawn from like everybody around me and that sort of thing. And to this day, she has helped me get out of my toxic environment in ho- at home. I didn't have much of a support system at home. So I had left my home and have been like, you know, living on my own since. And um, just having a support system to listen to me and be like, hey, I'm here for you to listen made me feel like, okay, cool, there's somebody out there that is willing to hear my story, willing to be supportive. And for some reason, that got me to feel like connected with somebody. Yeah, it's definitely important. And something I feel like based off my experiences, With my support system, it really is quality over quantity. You don't need 20 people, 30 people to be in your corner as long as you have those few people who really understand you and are really there for you no matter what. It does make a huge difference in your life and your healing journey and it uplifts you. And something that I've also noticed is just that I found that the second time around that I didn't tell my family right away and I more so leaned on my friends because those were the people who were surrounded I was surrounded by like those are the people who knew this new version of me that had resulted from having been assaulted versus like my family members who have known me my whole life it kind of just felt more comfortable being with people who saw me changing versus the people who didn't really see me changing and didn't know what was going on with me because I wasn't there. I was at college. It's like I wasn't always there with those people in my family. And something I wanted to just touch on really briefly is that I know you said you went and you got your rape kit performed at the hospital to kind of add to the process of your Title IX hearing, which Uh I'm assuming you did go through. What was that like for you and was an outcome reached with that? Yeah, so the process with the Title IX hearing, um, I can definitely say it was very stressful for me because from the moment of putting in the report and talking uh, with my victim advocate, talking to the officers on the university campus, I had decided to put the report through the university's officers versus the officers outside of like within my county because I felt more welcoming within my university and that the officers there would be a bit supportive in me telling my story while definitely it was uncomfortable for me to share my story half half of it in which at the moment I couldn't necessarily remember good pieces of it they had definitely advised me to talking to the investigator later on to go ahead and establish a timeline and talk to whoever was around that I may or may not remember within the vicinity. And I was definitely nervous. I had called my victim advocate to you know be there with me um, during the police report. And uh, when it came to the investigative process um, with the investigator, definitely. 
I definitely choked up a lot sharing my story multiple times, having to hear like, oh, what were you wearing? Um, how many how many drinks did you have? Did you mix drinks or were you dating somebody? Um, were they dating somebody? And it was definitely hard for me to like, you know, repeat over and over again to the investigator. It just, it, it definitely drained me. And then when it came to the Title IX hearing, it was definitely months, months later. I did the report back in January. I didn't have the hearing until, I believe, around May. The hearing was around uh, six hours. So uh, (laughs) it was definitely um, draining by the end of it and definitely something that I did not expect to have. With um, with quarantine, we had to go ahead and, you know, do the hearing um, over Zoom. And my advocate, she had told me, um, if you don't want to, you know, have your camera on, uh, you can let them let them know if you need to, like, you know, step out of the room for a minute, catch your breath and that sort of thing. You can go ahead and do that. And for me, I'm I'm a very, like, uh, stubborn person. I'm like, okay, I, I feel like I can do this. I can go ahead and, like, face this individual, looking at them and giving my official opening statement and that sort of thing. But... When it came on, I just couldn't, I couldn't face it. Um, Definitely um, had to have my camera off a good portion of the time. And definitely the the process was very drilling. They would ask you like very um, harsh questions, kind of like, like I had mentioned, they're like, oh, you know, were you dating somebody? Are you still dating them now? Um, That sort of thing. And at the time, I was just like, how are these questions? They would ask a lot of questions that were not really relevant to the case. It would just like definitely frustrate me. When it came to the end of the process, I think it was about a week or so that it took for the, for the results to come in. And they had decided that it would go on his record, that he was filed guilty for the charges, and that he would be banned from showing up at the university for a year. And at the time, I was just, I was so exhausted from everything. And I looked at the results and I'm like, definitely, you know, personally for me, I felt like he had deserved a little bit more punishment, but it took me so long to just get the hearing, get everything done. I was just like, you know what? I fought this hard. I was definitely okay with the results that were given. And I was just like, I don't want to, I don't want to push this anymore just because it's that it was definitely harming my mental health at the time. I was just like, you know what? I'm okay with it. They definitely did all they could. I'm just happy that they decided that he was guilty to the charges. Yeah, it's kind of went in a loss. My Title IX hearing kind of went the same way as yours, where after the initial investigation, the charge was expulsion. Then it led to a hearing where the charge was lessened to a two-year suspension. And when appealed, it was still the same. And to me, it was like, you find this person guilty on so many gruesome charges, yet only a year or two of a suspension, and that's the punishment you deem the charges worthy of. It, It seems like an injustice, just a further injustice where... Even though someone is found guilty, it just it's not enough. It's not enough yeah. punishment for it. And I wanted to ask if your Title IX process mm-hmm. kind of led you down the path 
of your decision to pursue counseling or if this was always a path that you chose to do? Um, in terms of like counseling being my career, is that what you're asking? Yeah, like if, like I shouldn't say Title IX, like if like everything you've experienced, your sexual assaults, the Title IX process, mm-hmm. your relationship with your victim advocate, if all of that compiled up together led you down the path to pursue counseling or if you've always wanted to pursue counseling and why that is? I would say definitely a little bit of both. Um, It has definitely motivated me even further to, you know, go ahead and continue my studies and to hopefully, you know, one day be a victim advocate counselor myself. When it came to uh, my first assault, after learning everything that it was about sexual assault, um, the process, researching all that years later, it kind of just motivated me to do that for others because the first time around, I did not have any support. I did not have any resources. So when it came to you know going ahead and transferring to my university, they had this specific course um, now I'm pretty sure not all universities, uh, you know, have this course, but um, it was a course specifically towards campus sexual assault, and it would educate students on the red zone, um, rape culture, things in regards to like sexual assault between partners, sexual assault between every case that could be coming up in a university campus, both in and off campus scenarios, and. During that time, that was actually when I learned about rape between couples and that sort of thing. And I was just like, wow, like, you know, I didn't know any of this information. Um, Definitely went through learning about like Title IX through that course and all that stuff. And I was just like, wow, I definitely want to go ahead and become a counselor for those sexual assault victims and, you know, do everything that I can to provide them the resources that I couldn't have initially. Yeah, I think that Uh, having resources and educating others is so crucial for survivors and even just for people in general. Like it's so important. I think there's a lot of misinformation and lack of education surrounding these topics that causes people to react in these negative ways and like shift blame and you know and things like that that you've experienced with your family and your significant other and and other people. A lot of survivors experience these things. So I think it's really awesome one that FIU has a course like that. I don't think my school has a course like that. (laughs) So that's really cool to hear. Um, And two, that like you've kind of taken these experiences and while they're definitely horrible, horrible experiences that kind of you, but I think taking them and trying to use them as an initiator for change or as like a motion for change to better yourself and and be there for other survivors. And I think a lot of survivors find that they go into like advocacy work and like they become mental health counselors or college counselors or they or they volunteer with their time or things like that with different organizations um, so they can be there for survivors and be like a pillar of support for them and I think that helps survivors themselves with their own healing process as they're like navigating yeah. that. Yeah. Definitely definitely that's the process for me, especially turning at least the negative not to like, you know, diminish my experience or anything like that, but it's just to kind of give myself, 
like a new perception on certain things, especially, you know, with the anniversary coming up for me, it's like definitely a thought that comes up being, um, you know, not able to sleep at night this month and stuff like that. It's like, you know, what can I do to be a little kinder to myself? What can I do on that day specifically to create like a new positive meaning, especially within the next couple months, because, you know, this is when the chain of events for me started kind of becoming very, um, very severe and very down on my mental health. Exactly. Now that you brought up your anniversary, I wanted to definitely touch on that because Tiffany, actually, she reached out to us on Instagram and for those of you who are listening, follow us on Instagram. It's at Survivor Sisters. You can always reach out if you want to come on and share your story or just chat with us or whatever. But Tiffany reached out to us on Instagram because she wanted to come on, but specifically because she wanted to come on to share her story and kind of commemorate the anniversary of her her second sexual assault, which is December 21st, which is when this episode will be posted. And so we definitely want to touch on Tiffany, like, what is the significance of this anniversary and what made you choose to come on here and share your story and kind of commemorate that day in this specific way? Well, for sure, I wanted to give myself things that I didn't give myself the first time around and giving myself that anniversary honor moment to kind of create a different meaning for that day, especially with everything that I have gone on this past year, going through reporting it and going to the hospital to get my rape kit telling my significant other, my family finding out months later, my significant other just kind of like withdrawing from me and moving around the past couple months. It's just been, I haven't had that time to go ahead and process everything that I've gone through. And especially yesterday, I had just finished my final assignment for my first semester in grad school. And I had immediately just started crying right after submitting that assignment because I did not think at all that I would have been able to make it through my first semester. So coming on here, definitely, you know, listening to your podcast has definitely helped me feel connected in a time that I didn't have the support system that I have now. And having that connection while going through what I was going through For some reason, I just felt like honoring the anniversary because I went through a lot. You know, it's honoring my perseverance and like my strength. And it's just like, wow, yes, I was a victim at one point. But like, look back at everything that I have made it through, honoring myself and giving myself that love that that I've needed for a really long time. Yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of times we think of anniversaries. It's like the we're celebrating these happy moments, like wedding anniversaries or like your birthday is like the OG anniversary that everyone celebrates or stuff like that. Like we don't think of like all these things like a death in the family or, you know, the anniversary of a trauma or things like that. We don't think of them traditionally in the same way that we think about all these other like anniversaries that we're always celebrating and that are happy times. And I don't think that is necessarily how we should move forward. I, I love that. Like you wanted to kind of take back this day and like take back the power in this day and make it more about like, hey, like I survived this. Like I got through this and I persevered and flipped the perspective on like what this day actually means. You can let it mean, look at this horrible thing that happened to me. And, and some people do and they take that day just for like, you know, it's hard day for them to get through and, and that's fine. But I love that you're really trying to kind of flip the script on that. And I think like that 
is something that's going to be so helpful for you in the future as you continue to grow and move on as a human being that you're always just going to have this day that you can take to reflect on how much you've grown. And it doesn't need to be like this happy celebration, but it's something that like, it's so important to like just take time and be mindful of like what you've gone through and where you now are a year later or two years later or however, however long you live really. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. It's, it's more, it's more for the acknowledgement than, you know, the celebration of it. Like you said, it's just to make myself feel seen and like acknowledge that like all this happened, kind of like being an ear or like that moral support for myself. You know, you went through this look at you now well, let's still acknowledge that it happened so that you feel that sense of like love and compassion for yourself exactly exactly and uh, we're so happy that we could just like be a part of that and that we have this platform for you and for other survivors to just share their stories and to commemorate these days acknowledge them and just like process everything that's happened and continue to grow from that and we're so Happy to hear that like Survivor Sisters has been such a crucial resource in your healing journey and has allowed you to find connection and understanding in your own life as you continue to process what happened to you and your traumas that you may not have had in the people who you thought would be there for you. And so like we're, we're happy to be there for you and for all survivors who listen. And we thank you so much for coming on here and and sharing your story with us and being so open. And yeah, we hope that you guys all learned a lot from Tiffany and her story and that Survivor Sisters continues to be like a valuable resource for survivors to educate others, but also to be a platform for survivors to take back their voice, shift the narrative and acknowledge what happened to them, but also acknowledge how much they've grown, how much they've healed from this and what they're still doing to move forward. Because I think that's so important. We don't want to shift away from, you know, oh, this happened to me and I'm a victim of this and of these circumstances and it's all my fault. We want to we want to move away from that. We want to say like, hey, yeah, I was a victim, but now I'm a survivor. And I'm happy that, Tiffany, that you have taken back this day for yourself and we're here for you as you continue to heal and, and move forward. And thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a great experience. <laughs> yeah. With that, you can follow us on Instagram and keep up with us at Survivor Sisters. Again, if you want to come on the show and, you know, support the podcast, you can, you know, reach out to us on Instagram like Tiffany did and you'd be more than happy to accommodate you. You can also just follow us on Instagram and Facebook to just kind of keep up with our podcast. We're available to stream anywhere podcasts can be found. So that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're also posted on YouTube. Um, we have everything linked in like the description of our Instagram bio. So definitely check that out to stay posted on our upcoming episodes. We also have merch available in our Teespring store, um, which is also linked in our Instagram bio if you want to support. It's actually really cute stuff. And uh, we <laughs> donate some of the proceeds to um, nonprofit organizations that combat sexual assault and sexual assault on college campuses. And yeah, with that, we will not be silenced.